the star might be Ross Braun from so many years ago when he told Michael Schumacher to pit and do, I forget exactly the number of qualifying laps, and Schumacher did it and won the race. Now, we, we should really point out to those who, who don't, we haven't heard this expression before, qualifying lap, of course, is the fastest possible lap you can do to get on, let us say, to get pole position, to, to do 19 qualifying laps, one after the other, calls for an absolutely supreme effort, which is what Michael did then and Lewis did now. Welcome to the Forza F1 podcast. I'm Aaron Jenkins, the editor of Forza Magazine, and with me, as always, is Andrew Frankel, Forza's Formula One editor. After the scintillating German Grand Prix one week earlier, expectations were low for a thriller in Hungary, home to many processional races over the years. But this time, at least, the Hungarian circuit saw a fantastic race full of strategy and wheel-to-wheel battles, with the winner decided once again in the final few laps. The podium was filled by arguably the sport's three best drivers, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, and Sebastian Vettel, but that result doesn't tell the whole story because the Ferraris finished more than a minute behind the race-winning Mercedes. Andrew, both you and I predicted Leclerc would win, leading a Ferrari 1-2 this weekend, but the red cars were half a second down in qualifying and a second a lap off the pace in the race. We need to get out of the prediction business clearly, but what happened? Well, as you so rightly say, we need you know we we really should stop predicting. I think the reason for saying Leclerc was more more sort of hope and prayer than reality, um, because at this rate, um, you know, we keep referring to the best of the rest. Well, at this rate, Ferrari will be becoming sort of best of the rest and just watch Hamilton and Verstappen, you know, stay in a league of their very own. And I asked you uh, a couple times over the last few podcasts if Ferrari was getting worse or Red Bull was getting better. I don't think that this weekend necessarily showed that. Um, we saw, we Ferrari said before and after the race that they have a low downforce car and it's a high downforce circuit and they'll be back on form at Spa and Monza, which I certainly believe. But we we still saw um, their young gun, Leclerc, score an own goal on himself by crashing out of Q1, just yet another example of a mistake that he's made that he shouldn't be. And it's only sheer luck that the team was able to repair the car before Q2. Otherwise, he would have started the race in 16th instead of 4th, I believe. Yes, yes. Well, I suppose it's a learning curve, and some people say that uh, he got to Ferrari too soon, and they should have kept Kimi for another year. Um, Certainly, um, Kimi would have scored as many points so far in the Ferrari as as, as Leclerc. Um, I think what he needs is to win one race and then he'll be on a roll. But it's taking an awful long time, and I was just wondering, do you think Ferrari will win a race at all in 2019, the way things are going? We'll have to get back to that in our predictions at the end, but the answer is yes, I do. And I think they might win two in a row very shortly, but we'll see. Uh, You mentioned uh, Kimi Raikkonen 
a moment ago, who's now driving for Alfa Romeo. And despite his advanced age of, I think he's 39, and being in a solid mid-place car, the Iceman has really shown what he's made of this year, completely dominating his teammate, Antonio Giovinazzi, and scoring points. He finished, I think it was seventh this past weekend, and he's been in the mix in the front of the midfield most of the season. Absolutely. Rock solid, reliable. Um, Of course, the local press had some problems getting very long quotations out of him, (laughs) but then being uh, very sort of short in his answers is part of his trademark, part of his charm, and no wonder uh, that a lot of Finns flew to Budapest more for him than for his compatriot Bottas. And we will definitely return to Valtteri's wretched weekend shortly. But when the when the weekend began after qualifying and then for most of the race itself, it looked like the star of the weekend was going to be Max Verstappen of Red Bull. He took his first ever F1 pole position, um, got away cleanly at the start, held the lead over Hamilton, who was chasing him. Um, Verstappen was just on fire the entire weekend. I don't think he set a foot wrong that I can recall. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh Beautiful qualifying, um, beautiful start. Now, a lot of people thought that he will fluff the start because he's done that many, many times before. And he did that just in the last race in the wet at Austria, correct? But he stayed on to practice. After practice, he stayed on to do some practice runs. Um, And he's not calm and serene. I mean, it's not the same Verstappen we knew a year ago when he was all surly and hysterical and everything else. The guy is really behaving like a champion. And speaking of practicing, Lewis Hamilton, who I think turned out to be the unquestioned star of the weekend, um, showed up after being sick and having just a terrible, the, the worst weekend that I can remember in uh, Austria, sorry, in Germany last time out. Um, he was first out in free practice one, and he put in far more laps than anybody else. So that was him getting his head back in the game, trying to put that weekend behind him. And we saw hints throughout the race of his comfort running in second place. I believe it was on lap 12 that he called on the radio, let me know when you want me to close up. And we didn't really see him do that during the first phase of the race, But in the second phase, after they had both pitted and were on hard tires, Hamilton suddenly closed up at a fantastic rate, you know, a a second a lap from six seconds back to being right on Verstappen's tail and proceeded to just battle him, only backing off when um, his Mercedes brakes started overheating. We almost never see battles like this for the lead. Actually, now that I say that, unless Hamilton's involved, because we just saw one in Canada, but this is exactly what you want to see in every single race. But the astonishing thing is that most drivers, having Lewis in their mirrors, would probably make a mistake, with the exception of, well, even, you know, I mean, Fettel made a mistake, and lots of other people have made mistakes. Um, to have Lewis chase you, I mean, five-time world champion, there is nothing anybody could teach Lewis, for sure. Well, five times world champion in the fastest car. Yes, 
Yes, this is perfectly true. But the fact remains that, you know, Lewis is chasing you, um, you've got problems, and and Max drove like an absolute champion in front of him, and and he didn't put a wheel wrong, he, he didn't spin, he, he didn't get on the gravel, he didn't do all the things that most people would have done had they had Lewis behind them. And the race was decided, I think, I, I called Hamilton the star of the weekend. I actually think it's Mercedes that is the star of the weekend because on lap 49, he was su- he was running a second behind Verstappen, was clearly biding his time, waiting to attack again, and suddenly he was called into the pits. And it was a free pit stop because they were so far ahead of, I guess it was Leclerc was in third at that point. But they put him on medium tires, sent him back out onto track. He was 21 seconds behind uh, Verstappen at that point and just told him to go get him. This is perfectly true. Uh, The guy who should get all the credit apart from him is the tactician, the guy who calculated down to the last millisecond and tire wear and everything else just what sort of a risk it would be and should they take that risk, they realize that they're not going to get past on the same tires, they were not going to get past Verstappen. So they said, well, you know what? Let's have a go. It may work. And um, there's a saying, you know, he who dares wins. And that's exactly what they did. And I salute them. I mean, last week, if you remember, uh, they really catastrophic. It was like a Barnum Circus in the uh, McLaren pits. This time round, uh, they got it absolutely right. And full credit to all of those who played a part in it. Do you think that Verstappen would have won the race if Hamilton had stayed out on hard tires? He had a, I guess, a six-lap newer tire advantage, but he looked convincing, I thought, in in chasing Verstappen down and applying pressure. And at the time, at least, Hamilton thought that it was the wrong call to pit, that he would have been able to pass him, actually. Yes, I mean, this is one of those, you know, we'll never know situations, but for sure it made for a much better race. It also gave us a chance to see Hamilton at his very best because first he was just chasing someone he couldn't see. But of course, once he could see the prey, he would went after it, whoosh, and there was no question that he was going to get past. And Max had the intelligence not to try to block him because, as he said, his tires were completely shot. Yeah, I think he called them dead on the one lap before Hamilton caught up to him. Um, and I, I, I said the star was the Mercedes um, strategy team. In reality, though, the star might be Ross Braun from so many years ago when he told Michael Schumacher to pit and do, I forget exactly the number of qualifying laps, and Schumacher did it and won the race. Now, we, we should really point out to those who, who don't, we haven't heard this expression before, qualifying lap, of course, is the fastest possible lap you can do to get on, let us say, to get pole position. To, to do 19 qualifying laps, one after the other, calls for an absolutely supreme effort, which is what Michael did then and Lewis did now. But... Um, I understand that you might have a little bit of a news about Michael. 
Yes. Over the weekend, we heard from Jean Tot, the president of the FIA, that he and Michael actually watched the race and had watched previous races together. Um, Schumacher uh, suffered a brain injury in late 2013, has been out of the public eye since then, and his condition has been very, very closely guarded. No, no official word has leaked out at all, which is astonishing um, in this day and age. Um, Tot also mentioned, though, and this is the first thing we've ever heard about that, that Michael has what he calls trouble communicating, which we don't know what exactly that means, but it's a hopeful sign if that is the big thing that's keeping him out of the public eye rather than any other lingering injuries. And I would suggest that uh, seeing uh, his son race and this weekend quite successfully is the sort of stimulus that someone who really is suffering big time and has been for many, many years needs. And I'm absolutely thrilled because the number of followers, I mean, he and, and, and Lauda and uh, er, uh, Senna are the ones, the, the th- and of course Fangio, are the ones people talk about 20 or 30 or 40 years later. Yeah, his son is Mick Schumacher, who's currently racing in uh, Formula 2, and Mick scored his first victory in the series this year. And of course, Ferrari, he is a member of the Ferrari Academy. Driver Academy. Driver yeah. Academy. And obviously, it's Ferrari's dream that one of these days he should be in the Formula One car. If we were discussing this, if Leclerc was not ready, I would say that Mick Schumacher is definitely not ready. Not for at least another year or two. Let's take a quick break to talk about Forza Magazine. Here on the podcast, Andrew and I talk about Formula One, as you'd expect. But every issue of Forza reports on the wider world of Ferrari. Think road tests of new and classic cars, histories and profiles, interviews and news, racing, and so much more. So check it out. Learn more at our website, forza-mag.com. That's F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G.com. So going back to the Formula One race at Hungary, uh, stars of the day, unquestionably, Hamilton and Verstappen, but both of their teammates had just terrible days, um, getting stuck back in the field, getting stuck behind uh, slower cars. Valtteri, who started second, bumped his teammate and then was bumped by Charles Leclerc on the first lap after locking up in the first two corners. It broke his wing. He had to come into the pits. That was his day. And he, uh, Mercedes thought that he would be able to get back up to sixth by the end of the race, but he ended up eighth. Um, Gasly was nowhere, ended up in sixth, beaten by uh, Carlos Sainz of McLaren. It, it was just, both of these drivers are under pressure for their seats next year, and this weekend won't do either of them a bit of good. No, and, and don't forget that many, many years ago, let's say in the 1960s, uh, Formula One was a minority sport. Now you have hundreds of, hundreds of millions watching, and you've got at least 500 people, members of the press, with, you know, and they're forever asking questions. Well, will you keep your seat? Won't you get your seat? How do you feel? Where will you go when you get fired? You know, it's a lot of pressure. And these guys, it seems to me, are not reacting the way they should by not making mistakes and finishing. I mean, look, it's the same car for Gasly as it is for Verstappen. So if he's as good as Verstappen, 
he should have been third. Yeah. And and you mentioned a minute ago, obviously, that if Leclerc was too rushed into the seat too quickly, Mick Schumacher would be far too quickly. Uh, Gasly was promoted to Red Bull from Toro Rosso a year ahead of schedule, and maybe we're seeing that. But on the flip side, Verstappen, I believe, jumped Formula 2. He went straight from Formula 3 into Formula 1, although he was... Not while he was blindingly fast, he also made tons of mistakes himself back when he was a 16 and 17 year old racer. Oh, he was an absolute brat. And, and, and the maturity that seems to have come over him is, is, is a joy to watch. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, and, and also, let us mention Honda. Honda have had a very, very, very bad time for years. Uh, and they became a bit of a laughing stock at McLaren. And hey, presto, um, Red Bull had the intelligence to say, okay, you know what, we'll have a go with that. And they clearly gambled, and they gambled right, because Honda, well, their engines have yet to break down. And they're quick. And Renault, which powered, um, which had such an acrimonious relationship with Red Bull for four years, which I always thought was a bit unfair from the Red Bull side. After all, Renault propelled them to four world championships on the go, and then... With Vettel, yes. Yes, the relationship completely broke down. Uh, Renault is now a factory team, of course, and they were once again beaten this weekend, we've talked about this before, by their customer team, which is, again, just the worst thing that could possibly happen. I mean, between them, uh, Ricardo and Halkenberg didn't get a single point. And where the signs was sixth, I... Think was Norris in the points? I think he finished yes, just outside. Yes, ninth, oh, I believe. So okay. you had two McLaren drivers, <laughs> um, and obviously the team are delighted, and they are delighted. I am not quite sure how Fernando Alonso feels, having left in a half, and and I'm not even sure that he's going to come back. Yeah, we'll 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 have to wait and see. Um, the last thing I wanted to call out was. Some brilliant wheel-to-wheel racing we saw between Toro Rosso teammates, Alex Albon and Daniel Cavia. They ran side-by-side, inches apart, corner after corner, but for lack of a better word, they did it smartly. They didn't touch. They, I don't even know if it's showing respect for the other driver, but they were racing and knowing that they couldn't take each other out. And it makes you, we actually, we saw a lot of that throughout the weekend with cars side by side. Yes, there were a few touches, but nothing significant. And it, it must drive Haas team principal Gunther Steiner completely mad because his drivers can't do anything. I, I feel like we're literally beating the same horse here because we've mentioned this so many times, but it's astonishing. But we're to not have... the only people mentioning it. The whole world is saying, for goodness sake, ditch those two, uh, Magnussen and, and, and Grosjean. Interesting love. Grosjean was the only person who dropped out of this race. 19 out of 20 finished, which also shows unbelievable reliability for these new engines. It's just that, um, as with, 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 with Renault, unfortunately, the, chass- the chassis, the aerodynamics, everything else is such rubbish that even if the engines are brilliant, as they are clearly uh, good enough for fifth position, um, they've got an awful lot of work to do. 
And speaking of rubbish, the Williams team showed a fantastic turn of speed in qualifying when George Russell qualified 16th. He was, what, a tenth of a second away from hitting Q2, and that was nothing that anybody would have predicted even last weekend. Um it, 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 it's a, it's potential uh, that admittedly then on the day of the race, they were right at the back again. I think Kubica was three laps down and he was also 30 seconds behind Russell as well. But if nothing else, Kubica was quite a draw for the crowds on hand. Oh, I mean, uh, completely unbelievable. I mean, normally, historically, about 10,000 people turn up from Portland. This time round, it was well over 20 and they were having such a wonderful time with good food, good drink, lots of good drink, that they didn't really care where he finished as far as they were concerned. Their hero was on the grid, and they were able to fly Polish flags, just like there were people there from the Czech Republic and all over the place. As I've mentioned last week, more nationalities at this particular race because of the geographical location than any other race Um on, on the on the calendar, I mean, you can't imagine, you know, this many nationalities, not in Australia, for one, or Baku, another one, or Silverstone, or France. Um, so it is. It, it does have a very special ambiance. The drivers love it. The journalists love it because, again, they love the Danube, they love the food, and they also love the fact that they can go on two weeks' holiday. A lot of them arrive with suitcases ready to fly to... Italy or Greece or wherever. I mean, one of the drivers said, oh, I'm off to Croatia. Somebody's off to Mallorca. So no wonder they were all smiling. Yeah, this is the last race before the three-week summer break. And the next race, or the, the race when racing resumes in Spa in Belgium in three weeks' time. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I thought that Ferrari would win a race this year. I think they're going to win in Spa. And I think they're also going to win in Monza. And then I think that might be the last we see of them, but who knows? So my predictions for Spa, I'm actually going to say Vettel's going to win it, followed by Leclerc, followed by Hamilton, and then a toss-up for either uh, Botas or Verstappen. How about you? Well, um, it sounds, sounds, sounds it might be too good to be true. Um, I obviously I would love to see it. Uh, Spa is, of course, a very very special circuit. You will have the whole of Holland there, I dare say, because they just have to cross the border. And I have to salute those Dutch fans because the way they fly here, there, and everywhere, or or drive, their enthusiasm and their support is is is, is definitely worth. I don't know half a second, fraction of a second. But psychologically, to have all those guys there must be good for Verstappen. So you predict that Verstappen will run the race? I did predict that Max will be in the first three, bearing in mind the tremendous confidence he's carrying. And don't forget that he's from that part of the world. He's, if I, unless I'm very much mistaken, he's part Belgian, part, you know, that part of the world. Everybody's from just across the border. So he'll have more support there than anywhere else until Zandvoort next year. And that, again, will propel him onto greater things. And the sort of form he showed in the last few races, I would, I definitely think he'll in the first three. 
I also think that there might be a little come together at the hairpin between him and one of the Ferrari drivers, because that is where notoriously uh, crashes tend to happen. So I just say I expect him in the first three um, and one of the Ferraris on the podium, just like in Hungary. Which leaves one podium position unaccounted for. Um, I would suggest that it's going to be Lewis Hamilton, although not necessarily um, at the top of the podium because because the because of the position of the start, which is just before a very tight hairpin, where historically there have been an awful lot of uh, crashes. Um, I don't think we're going to see. 20 cars finish, and that, that is a very firm prediction. And incidentally, on the domestic front, um, if there is a listener, preferably in California, who would like to become the proud owner of a 2012 Ferrari California in excellent condition, please get in touch with us and we'll be very happy to arrange for a test drive. That's it for this episode of the Forza F1 podcast. Join us in three weeks' time after the Belgian Grand Prix. Thanks for listening this week. We'd love to hear from you, so get in touch if you have any questions or comments via our website, forza-mag.com. That's F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G.com. You can follow us on social media at Forza Mag. F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G, no hyphen.